Well, welcome to the program, everybody. My name is Emilio Ramos. As always, I am joined by Mike Tiemann, a pastor in Southern California in Anaheim Hills, and delighted to be back on the podcasting train, so to speak, because it's been a little while since we've done a, a Christ and Kingdom episode, been really focusing on YouTube and other things, but I am so excited uh, to be back. And also, um, in terms of Christ and Kingdom, going forward, uh, you know, Mike Tiemann and I, we've known each other for how long? Welcome to the show, Mike. Good to, good good to, to have you here, back, man. brother. It's good to be back. Yeah, we've known each other for too long. Long time. Almost 20 years, I think. <laughs> you, you, you couldn't get rid of me, and uh, somehow I'm still around, and you're still around. We made it. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, but, you know, Mike and I, we we go way back, and we've been fellowshipping over the Word of God, theology, the things of God for so long, and, uh, you know, I just... I'm just delighted that Mike is working with Red Grace Media, and for Christ and Kingdom, Mike is you're going to be hosting the show pretty much henceforth, and I'm looking forward to that uh, because that's just going to enable me to focus more on YouTube and what we're doing with the uh, show there, and also putting together other uh, film projects that we're working on and stuff like that. So I'm super excited to do that. But uh, why don't you tell us what we have coming up? Today. Yeah, you know, along with that, I'm just I'm so blessed and honored to be to be a part of this ministry and and uh, the podcast and everything that's happening at Red Grace Media. I've been praying for it for many many years and just uh, it's it's a privilege. And so we're we're going to actually jump back into Sinclair Ferguson's book, The Christian Life, and and kind of pick up where we left off. Uh, what probably two months ago since we were. We were in this last on a, on a very important, and he even says like central doctrine, crucial doctrine that must be examined. That's the doctrine of regeneration. Um, mm. And such mm-hmm. an amazing doctrine that is elementary, but at the same time has some uh, conflicting views in, in a couple different areas. You know, I came from uh, a specific, you know, part of Christianity that that would broadly disagree with most stuff that came out of this book or out of this chapter, I should say, in, in the context of regeneration. And so even in the Christian world, this is a weighty topic um, and, and one mm. that is, out, is not without controversy, but one that mm. absolutely needs to be, to be understood. Uh, it's central to the gospel. It's central to the, to the Christian life. And so we're going to dive into the doctrine of regeneration and that, you know, Emilio, you must be born again. Amen. And uh, that's exactly right. I think you you brought up some really good points there, Mike, just because not everybody agrees with the Reformed doctrine of regeneration. Uh, if you don't have Reformed theology, then what you believe is something like regeneration and justification being simultaneous uh, being uh, basically synonymous, and you don't have, let's say, for example, the doctrine of monergistic regeneration, mm-hmm. which is this idea that God alone is the acting agent in regenerating us. We do not play a role in regeneration. We simply receive the life of regeneration uh, through the Spirit of God, but we don't produce it. We don't procure it on our own. That's something that God does in us, and so uh, very important to have a right doctrine of regeneration. So I'm glad you pointed out those. Yeah, those so things. important. And you know, you got monergistic in comparison to synergistic. You know that that prefix in there that there's a cooperation 
uh, with grace. There's a man part. There's a there's a God part. And I remember I had a I had actually a teacher in Bible college that was trying to probably brush the debate under the carpet a little bit. And he said, you know, debating this kind of like debating which spoke on a bike tire spins first or moves first when you spin the tire, you know, and it's like, (laughs) well, hold on. And, And the reform position is that regeneration precedes faith. Um, I figure that's that's kind of a good place to to start, and and it's not quite where Sinclair Ferguson starts, but I figured, you know, let's let's establish the position first. So, Amelia, why don't you just kind of simply explain what that means, the 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 order there? Yeah, I mean, what is regeneration, right? Regeneration is, uh, according to Herman Bavink, you know, regeneration is the entry point of the religious life of man. It is where everything begins, and of course we can discuss union with Christ, we can discuss election and predestination, but when it comes to time and space and, you know, uh, realized salvation, as it were, um, it really begins with the act of regeneration. Regeneration, or the idea of being begotten by God, is the language of giving life, of imparting life to us, and even as Sinclair Ferguson goes on to talk about, it, it, it sort of assumes that we lack life. And so regeneration is really, as he's going to go on to point out, is really absolutely uh, not just essential, but <laughs> it, it's necessary without regeneration. We don't have any of the other benefits of the order salutis, of the order of salvation. Without regeneration first, without God giving us life, we don't have the faith to believe under justification. Without regeneration, we don't have the faith to believe in our pro- progressive and ongoing sanctification. And so regeneration is really, really critical, and it tells us that, um, that, that, that Christianity is a supernatural religion. It is a religion of the Spirit. It is not a religion uh, that is moralistic or therapeutic or, uh, you know, it, it has nothing to do with people just simply adopting good habits uh, adopting a new mentality for their life, adopting some new uh, a version of themselves. Uh, it's not about self-help. It's not about self-improvement. It's not about simply, uh, you know, working on what we perceive to be our felt needs in this life circumstantially, but it really is a fundamental change in the constitution of man. We went, we, in through regeneration, we go from what the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 2 says, that we are dead in trespasses and sins, and that we who were dead, he made alive. And so uh, regeneration is telling us that before God acts by the Spirit in the soul of man to impart the grace to believe, justification, all of that, that man is really in a state of complete inability, that man is in a state of total depravity which means he's not just sinful in every aspect of his life or every aspect of his humanness, but it really does mean that man is in, he is uh, impotent, spiritually speaking. He is incompetent. He is not capable of doing that which pleases God. And so in that sense, uh, the doctrine of regeneration from a Reformed position is diametrically opposed to anything like what you see in Roman Catholic and semi-Pelagius, semi-Pelagian thought, Arminian thought, that this idea that man is still basically good, that man still has within himself, within his reach, the power to do what is pleasing in the sight of God. 
Uh, we don't believe that man is capable of doing those things, and therefore he needs uh, regeneration in order to do that. Well, what thing. a great, what a great um, just overview. I mean, you overviewed the entire chapter there, and that was fantastic. And right at the very beginning, he says this, and I kind of, I kind of paused uh, when I read this. And he's talking about evangelism and how, in the history of evangelism, um, the the predominance of you must be born again has been to one extreme to the other. Um, And he says this, for one thing, you must be born again is not in itself good news. And I kind of pause at that. I'm like, well, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's not good news because what are you telling the person, right? Well, what Nicodemus, and we're going to spend time in John chapter three, well, what Nicodemus or Jesus tells Nicodemus that Nicodemus, you must be born again. And, and at the basic level is Nicodemus something external outside of you, a, a, a power that is beyond you must, must act, must take place upon you, right? It is not something that we create in and of ourselves. And so in that, it's good. It, it's not good news. It's, hey, you are totally helpless, to, to bring about, to, to bring into existence your regeneration, not even one one hundredth of a degree, right? And that, that on one side of it magnifies grace because when God regenerates, well, it's all of God, right? And then, you know, you had mentioned there's other, other different, you know, views of this that, that, that proclaim, well, man's not, you know, totally dead. Like he's mostly dead. And, and we always quote princess bride in that. And, and, um, but that's not the biblical picture of the unsaved, the unregenerate person. And he, he, he closes at the bottom of page 44. He says this at the opposite extreme in some evangelical traditions, you must be born again is regarded virtually as the equivalent of a command to believe in Christ, right? So it's, it's, it's parallel. You must believe in Christ. You must be born again. And, and it's sometimes being used synonymously and it's something we must do, but the new Testament, this is his point, but in the new Testament, new birth is something God gives. It's something God gives. The point of the metaphor lies in the fact that the new birth is not something we can do, right? It's not something we can do. That's, that's why it's not good news. It's, it's nothing you can accomplish. It has to be something that happens to you. And then, so he, he establishes his definition in the top of page 45. He says, we will take regeneration to refer to the fundamental imparting of new life by God which lies at the heart of being a Christian, the first abiding of the seed of God in our lives as the first, le- and then he goes and says, as first John describes it, right? And then he gives some pictures of regeneration that we see in the New Testament. He talks about new birth, new creation, and resurrection, right? So Amelia, why don't you kind of, let, let's just take those three uh, in order, and there's some there's some overlap here, of course, but but let's talk about Jesus talks about uh, to Nicodemus that you must be mm. born again. What what is what is the birth metaphor mm. encapsulate in Scripture? Mm. Excellent. 
I think the birth metaphor, the creation metaphor, and the resurrection metaphor that he talks about here, these are all perfect examples, and he's right. These are biblical metaphors that are given to us in order to understand the doctrine of regeneration rightly, to, 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 to try to apprehend and approximate what has taken place upon regeneration. Well, if we think about the idea of birth, what comes to my mind, of course, is that something new has come. Uh, we are told in Second Corinthians, of course, uh, chapter 5, uh, verse 17, that we are a new creation. And so something new has taken place. There is a new man, a new woman that has come forth. And also, when you think about the new birth, or you think about the analogy of birth, you know, when a baby is born, you really don't have to tell the baby to do what comes natural to the baby at that point. A newborn is born at the moment of birth, the moment of delivery, that, that new uh, precious child, that new precious life that has been given, immediately begins to operate on the principle of life. <laughs> and, and so you don't have to tell an infant that is newly born to cry. You don't need to tell an infant that is newly born to, to thirst or to hunger uh, or to cling to, to, to its mother, for example. Uh, these are all things that come naturally to that child. And in a similar way, you know, Mike, this is so instructive for us, even as, uh, as pastors and discipleship and, and instructing and teaching our people, that when we sit with them, let's say, for example, for uh, church uh, membership, and we listen to their testimony. For example, at our church, you know, we'll listen to your testimony. We'll try to hear what has happened in your life to try to establish whether or not there's been a valid testimony of regeneration. And I got to tell you, you know, it's, it's, it's always something when people have a testimony of becoming a Christian, but at the same time, they do not exhibit um, any radical changes in their life. That always yeah. concerns me. Because it's like, well, how can you possibly um, claim to have been born again, but no radical change has transpired uh, in your life? And so I really want to, you know, uh, just encourage people that as we think about regeneration, we're thinking about transformation. And as we're thinking about transformation, we're thinking about people that have completely uh, uh, changed uh, the way that they live. And the way that they view the world, that, that a new nature has come upon them. And, and there's, you know, sometimes that looks like an upheaval. That doesn't mean every single one of us is going to have a Damascus Road testimony, but there has to be the element of transformation. And I think creation, his second metaphor, is very similar. Uh, when you think about creation, again, you're thinking there about the power of God. And so Paul says in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 4, right, uh, verses 4 through 6, the same God who said, let God shine out of darkness, referring to the original creation in Genesis 1, you know, has has said, right, has spoken, he has spoken to give what? To give the light of the knowledge of the, of the glory of Jesus of God in the face of Christ. And so right there, that analogy between the original cosmic creation and the new spiritual creation is quite evident. And it, it shows you what? That it is a work of God. I, I don't understand how anyone at that point could argue that regeneration is a work of anything other than God. Because if Paul is making this analogy between the original creation 
uh, how many people exactly helped God to create the universe? <laughs> not, not very many. You know, no one would rise to, to, to say that God needed any help on the day of creation. Um, and so there you go. Um, you know, creation establishes this idea of the work of God alone. And it also tells us that just like creation, uh, Mike, regeneration is a miracle. Uh, it's a miraculous event. Uh, it, it, it is a supernatural thing that has transpired in the soul of man. And so people ask today, do you believe in miracles? Absolutely. I personally believe every time somebody gets born again, you have witnessed a miracle before your very Amen. eyes. And, uh, and so, yeah, the, these metaphors that, that uh, Sinclair uses are just, you know, they're, they're right on the money. And, uh, and again, this idea of creation leading us in the direction of a new creation— and that this is the principle, this is the redemptive principle upon which God now operates. Uh, he even quotes the passage there, Galatians chapter 6, uh, verse 15, where, you know, the Apostle Paul is saying, look, it's not circumcision or the lack of circumcision that avails anything, but a new creation. And so that tells you that the new creation is really the reason why God works in and among his people now, and what constitutes his people? It's no longer ethnic lines. Uh, there are no longer geographical lines. These external temporal things that demarcate the people of God. But now we have the indelible mark of the Spirit of God uh, that has radically changed our our lives. Has given us a new constitution. Has given us a new uh, uh, life, so that we will uh, finally come into a right relationship with God uh, by faith alone. And so uh, I think creation is a super, super good one. But uh, I, I, I've said a lot, and I, I, I bet you have something to say about both the birth and creation. The last one is resurrection, and so I don't know if you want to say anything before we get to that. Yeah, point. I mean, that was, that was fantastic. And you, you appropriately went to the end of the, the chapter and talking about the transforming power of these metaphors. The, these aren't small things, right? This is not a small message of the Bible. This is Sinclair's whole point at the beginning. This is a crucial issue. Regeneration is not a, 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 a flippancy. It's not a side point. It is a complete life altering identity changing transformation. And he lists, uh, he says regen in on page 52, he says regeneration is total, uh, regeneration mm -hmm. Uh, in, in regeneration, the mind is illuminated in regeneration. The heart is purified in regenerations. The, the desires are, are renewed in regeneration. We begin to live a new life, right? That that's, mm. that's it. Mm. That it, it is not small. And you're, you're absolutely right. When you have somebody in front of you saying, I have been born again. Mm -hmm. Well, okay, great. That's going to be clearly evident in in the individual's life. That doesn't mean we we don't struggle with sin or or, or mess up, but there's going to be a, a clear evidence of darkness to life, right? Of of what was once dead now has a heartbeat. And and you dropped this this passage on me a few years ago, and it, it rocked my paradigm. So you know, thanks for that. <laughs> uh, but John, in the beginning of his his gospel. He kind of gives his introductory remarks that set up his whole his whole gospel account. 
And in, in verse, uh, I'll just start in verse nine of chapter one. It says the true light, which gives light to everyone has, was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, his own people did not receive him, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. What a great children of right to become children of God who were born there. There's now John bringing in this theme at, at the very beginning of his chapter who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Right. So that's, that's John's thesis statement to this point. Then you get now to John chapter three, right? Well, now he's going to expound upon this and, and pull in this conversation with, with Nicodemus. And I also think, you know, chapter three, and we could even go to uh, what chapter 11 and Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead is I think John's explicit uh, picture of what this looks like. So why don't you kind of, kind of like, let's use that as a springboard. Why don't you kind of, hey, teach us John chapter three. What was Jesus's, uh, you know, in, in point there with Nicodemus talking about the new birth and, and, and really all of these things. Yeah, and actually, when Jesus talks about the new birth, and that's why I'm glad Sinclair Ferguson pointed this out at the very beginning, is that when Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born again, he the reason he said that, notice, is he wasn't calling him to exercise the new birth. It's not something he can do. And Jesus makes that abundantly clear, because immediately, you know, Jesus says that there are things you can't do because you don't have regeneration. You cannot see the kingdom of God. <laughs> yeah. You can't see the kingdom, you cannot enter the kingdom of God, and therefore, without regeneration, a person, because here, I would say here in um, John 3, uh, verse 3, the metaphor of seeing the kingdom is congruent with salvation. And so, the person cannot exercise saving faith cannot by faith behold the kingdom and will not therefore physically ever see the kingdom of God if he does, at the very beginning, if he doesn't have regeneration, if he doesn't have the life of God within him, if there has been no heavenly birth. And of course, this idea of being born again, as many people have pointed out, the Greek allows this concept of being born from above. And that's exactly what Jesus is trying to illustrate here from verses 1 all the way to verse 8. He's trying to illustrate that this new birth is an otherworldly, uh, sp- spirit-wrought uh, idea that is outside of man's power to do. It is not within uh, within Nicodemus's reach to produce the new birth with any resources that he himself has. And therefore, it is a remarkable statement of what Jesus is talking about here, He's explaining to Nicodemus really what the Spirit has to do, not what Nicodemus has to do, but what the Spirit has to do in order for someone like Nicodemus to see the kingdom of God. So this is all the sovereignty of the Spirit at the end of the day, and you know what he says in verse 8. He says, the wind blows, and you uh, blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from. And where it is going, so it is with everybody born of the Spirit. And that's exactly right. I mean, I think you would agree with me, Mike, that you and I both, on the day of our conversion, we didn't have a sticky note that morning saying, go get born again yeah. today. Yeah. <laughs> right? That wasn't our to-do list. 
right? And yet, that is exactly what happens. It was a remarkable awakening, a remarkable uh, work, a surprising work of the Spirit, as the Puritans yeah. would say. It is a surprising work. It is a remarkable work. It is a work that we were not planning for, we did not expect, but that suddenly came upon us. It may have come... You know, um, we are recording this, and you are in California right now, uh, supposedly under cataclysmic <laughs> judgment because you're going through it. You're going through a hurricane, and you just had a, a, a earthquake, and you know, a, you know, California doing California yeah. things, you know, and and yet at at the same time, uh, you know that. Um, oh, what was I going with that? Uh, Oh, what was I going? I lost my train of thought thinking about California. How, how crazy we are out and, here. I was talking yeah. about hurricanes, hurricanes. So, you know, you understand the power of a hurricane. That's where I was going. Right. You understand the power of a hurricane, the wind. You look outside. I don't know. Is it raining right now? Are you still having uh, storms? Puffy uh, clouds, blue skies. Beautiful. Ah, there you go. Yep. It's all died down. So, but you know, when when a hurricane blows in, it's unmistakable the signs yeah. of it, right? You see the, the the damage it causes, the catastrophe that it produces. But sometimes, you know, maybe more like what it is out there right now. It's not really windy. You don't really see the the the, the branches on the trees moving around. And and honestly, that's the way it is a lot of times for people in their salvation. Sometimes it's a violent move of the spirit. Sometimes it's almost undetectable. Yeah. And uh, and yet at the same time God is sovereign. He like he says here, the wind blows where it wishes, and so it is with everyone born of the wow. Spirit. And so, uh, you know, this is why Jesus emphasized uh, the new birth, and he even told people, "Don't be amazed by this. Don't be amazed that I told you that you must be born again. You should know this on the basis of the way the Spirit yeah. works." And uh, so, you know, remarkable, right? Because we use this passage a lot in evangelism, as Sinclair pointed out. But really, uh, John one, John three one through eight, is really telling us about the sovereignty of God in salvation. It's really Amen. remarkable. And, and moving to resurrection now, um, and onto the his his next point uh, as as another metaphor that's used, and he says this in the the middle of. Uh, this paragraph on resurrection, page 46, when we were dead through sin, dead, and we're going to expound upon that in the next session, God reached down in Christ to resurrect us with Christ by his grace, Ephesians 2, 5. The Christian has passed out of death into life. What is being underscored in all these passages is that regeneration, however it is described, is a divine activity in us in which we are not the actors, but the recipients, right? And, you know, Lazarus, he, he was laying in the tomb and he would have continued to lay there unless Jesus came to the tomb and called out his name, right? I think that's the imagery that, that John in, in writing his gospel, especially in that, that story, that account there of resurrection life, Right, lest Jesus stood at the, the, the entrance of our tomb and said, Emilio, wake up, come, come out, rise from the dead. Um, and, and how gracious is God to put these lofty, sovereign, God, God, you know, saturated ideas into language we could understand, um, you know, through these, these metaphors. 
And in the next section, you know, he, he talks about why is regeneration necessary? And I think what, what an important, you know, uh, place to go in this topic, because quite frankly, we live in a generation that, you know, Nicodemus, he points out Nicodemus, he kind of thought he was, he was doing good. He was a teacher of Israel. He was the top ranking, ranking guy. He didn't know he was a, a man in the flesh. He didn't know he couldn't see. Um, he didn't, he didn't know his, his powerless state, uh, as a, as a sinful person. And, and that's what exactly what, what Jesus reveals. So he, he, Sinclair gives those three, uh, answers, um, that Jesus supplies that man is flesh, flesh gives birth to flesh, spirit gives birth to spirit. Man cannot see, right? And he, he points out here, uh, I think appropriately enough that Nicodemus wasn't only blind, but he was shrouded in darkness, so that even when light appeared, he still could not see it. I mean, light was standing right in front of him, and there was still a, a blindness that needed to be taken care of. And man is, and here's the part that just, I think, eats away at people, that we are absolutely powerless, right? There's the heart of, of man, and, and even I say a lot of Christian people, is we want to reject that idea of man's powerless because we... We want to pretend like we have something to offer. We're not as bad, hmm. uh, you know, as the Bible paints us out to be. So why don't you kind of just ex- expand upon that Excellent. a little bit? Yeah, I think it's all about, you know, um, uh, I sat with a couple of guys. Uh, we were doing something for the American Gospel uh, Network, and I was with um, Alistair Begg and Don Green. And I remember Alistair Begg pointed out that the fatal flaw of Catholicism is that it's always about you making some kind of contribution, that it's always about you and what you can contribute to the equation of salvation. But as Nicodemus and then later an example like Lazarus, right, uh, if, they, if they teach us anything, is that we don't make a contribution other than our sin, <laughs> you know, other than our death. Uh, the only thing we bring to the table, so to speak, is our own rotting flesh, our own rotting corpse, and we don't really have anything positive to give to God on that day. And I tell you, in the world in which we live in today, uh, Mike, that message of sovereign regeneration and the impotence of man and the depravity of man is 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 less popular now than it has ever yeah. been, because we live in a culture that is completely saturated in selfism. Everything is about the power of the self, the beauty of the self, the aesthetics of the self. Everything is about self-will, self-power, self-improvement. Uh, today, you know, if, uh, you know, it's very, um, it's very common to find seeker-sensitive churches talking about the best version of yourself, and it's just all about yourself, about human flourishing, and things like that, where. Again, it's always this idea of what man can do. And regeneration is just a doctrine that teaches us that without the work of the Spirit, man cannot do anything. And man cannot do anything to please God. Man cannot do anything to, to uh, improve upon his condition. And that's the beauty of what Sinclair Ferguson is giving us here, is he's basically telling us, look, 
It doesn't matter what technique you use. It doesn't matter what background you have. He even says it, characteristic of even people that devote themselves to a religious life. That sometimes, regardless if you've devoted yourself to religion in a sense, too many people are marked by this lack of the spirit. And and that's why it's so important, Mike, you know, um, as much as whatever the dynamics is in a person's church, I think it's the elder's job to try to constantly purify the church as much as possible. We want to have regenerate church membership. We don't want to we don't want to fill the pews with with unregenerate yeah. people by coddling them just because we're willing to speak to their felt needs. I mean, it is such an incredibly deceptive thing to minister in America yeah. today because the temptation is is just to minister to these felt needs. And that we just end up producing a a whole system of self improvement and self modification and self customization, and the idea that just by association to religious things you somehow have improved your condition. Regeneration tells us the complete opposite: that you can do all of those things, but if you lack regeneration, if you lack the spirit, it's all for nothing. So very, very, very. Um, you know it's very important to uh to never sidestep this doctrine right here it all begins re- with regeneration so it's that Man, important. and I, I can't help but hear the echo of the serpent in the garden that you know the day you eat this fruit you'll be like god knowing good and evil you'll be self-determining you are going to be able to determine right and wrong right that that focus upon you 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 determine what you can do, what you can't do. You determine what is good and evil. There's that echo. Even, you know, I've been um, in some very forceful conversations with individuals over regeneration and how angry people get to the fact that we say, hey, this is all about grace. This has nothing to do with with mankind. You put it so well as the sovereignty of the Holy Spirit invading and awakening and, and affecting salvation upon an unworthy person, dead person that's yeah. without hope in the grave. You know, that that is that is a hundred percent grace. It's not like we're looking for like ninety-five percent grace and then five percent effort. No, the Bible talks about a hundred percent grace. Absolutely. And Mike, let me just bring in something that maybe we're not thinking about, and that is this idea that because it's based on regeneration, if you think about what regeneration is, man, in all of his wisdom, would never do this. Yeah. <laughs> if you thought that in order for you to improve your life, you would create the kind of life that will result in the fact that you are now going to have to live in such a way where you can no longer love the world, in such a way where it might cost you everything to follow Jesus. You may be ostracized, lose your community, you may be persecuted, and potentially lose your life, that you are going to now be putting yourself on the hard and difficult road that leads to eternal life versus the broad, easy road that leads to destruction— that you're going to have to now live in a countercultural, counterintuitive way. Uh, the, 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 the life that has now emerged from regeneration, I know we're going to get into that a little bit, 
but is completely contrary to the wisdom of what we would have done for ourselves. We, we simply wouldn't have put it, planned it this way. We simply would not have voted for this if we had the power to even do such a thing. We would have, we would have created a kind of religious experience that would have made everybody happy, that would have resulted in the best mental state, that would have re- resulted in the best circumstances, that would have resulted in what we perceive as human flourishing, human advancement, progress, innovation, entrepreneurship, we would have created a kind of life quite different from that which the Spirit produces in the life of believers, which, of course, is because of the gospel and because of being in union with Jesus Christ. And so this goes along with a major emphasis of mine that we're going to have to tackle, Mike, in a future episode in talking about the the otherworldliness of Christianity, the other the otherworldliness of Christ, the uniqueness of Jesus Christ that has no identification with anything in this world. There's nothing in this world. There's no kingdom. There's no law. There's no government. There's no philosopher. There's no politic. There's no you know. There's no psychology. There's no spirituality. There's no economic socioeconomic system on earth that can actually identify with Jesus Christ. He is different. He is other. And that's exactly what the Spirit does in regeneration. It brings us into contact with something completely not of this world. And I know that Sinclair touches on that. Yeah, amen. And that's a great transition point as we kind of land the plane in this episode. His final his final thoughts are on the characteristic of regeneration. And he talks about a heavenly birth, a God-given life, and its transforming power. And he starts off and says in the heavenly birth, the new birth is firstly uh, heavenly in origin, right? You must be born again. You must be born from above. Over against, uh, sorry, over and over again, Christ emphasized this to Nicodemus. You must be born again, right? This this heavenly birth, that, that's the picture. And I, I think we, we, we hit on that great um, or, or suffi- in a sufficient manner. And uh, he says this, if we are members of that kingdom, it must be by heavenly birth. In other words, if we are Christians, it can only be because God has wonderfully intervened to give us new life. And then to your point, our, our focus as Christians is no longer earthly, right? We are, we are pilgrims passing through and our, our focus is on a heavenly kingdom. The author of Hebrews boasts up Abraham's faith that he was a man that he, he confessed, stranger and pilgrim on, on this, this, this earth. And he looked towards a heavenly, uh, a heavenly kingdom. And therefore, God's not ashamed to be called his God, right? That's, that's true of us as, as Christians. We, we look for now our, our true citizenship, which is found in heaven. You have anything you want to want to uh, comment on that before we get into God given life or or the transforming oh. power? Oh, brother, I just I'm just listening. It's it's uh, everything you're saying is gold, and uh, that's exactly what we need. And it's also important for us to point out that as we're studying this book in the Christian life, I I, I really just hope that people uh, read the book. I hope people follow along on the podcast. Because regeneration is not just this theoretical doctrine for theologians, you know, it's not just this abstract idea, it really is the fundamental, essential component to your entire Christian life, and it really, it really um, 
it really characterizes your life henceforth. It's not like, well, you, you're regenerated, regeneration's over, now you, now you take it from here. It, it really does lead, like Sinclair is saying, to a, a whole different perspective, a whole new way of looking at everything. And it's a heavenly birth, as he says, right, on page uh, 59, or excuse me, 50. Page 50, he talks about the fact that it is a heavenly birth, absolutely, and that uh, again, he points out this idea that it is not just born again, but it can be, you know, you're born from above, and that what that does is that now orients the believer, it orients us, orders us towards a heavenly worldview, a principle that began our new birth now is the very principle that governs the life of the new birth, so that the entire life of the believer is now ordered in a heavenly direction and i know um i know that he's going to um he's gonna he's gonna touch on this head on when he talks about the transforming power of regeneration right but that you know there's not there's never enough of heaven that we can emphasize um if you think about it mike we have entered in the 21st century we have entered into a hyper sensational generation. Everything that means anything has to have cash value at the sensory experience. And of course, because we're human beings, we're we're surrounded by physical things and matter, but what what we're kind of teaching this generation is if something does not, uh, if something does not produce some sort of sensory pleasure for you, whether it's aesthetically, whether it's sexually, whether it's uh, materialistically, uh, whether it's politically, whatever, if we don't create the kind of emotional, psychological, and materialistic environment that you're looking for, it's worthless. It has no value whatsoever. And the spirit is not like that. (laughs) The Spirit is ordering us to a heavenly perspective that at present, right now, it can't be touched, it can't be seen, it can't be, it cannot, you can't smell it, taste it, or touch it. But nevertheless, we are ordered to put our mind in heaven, to put our heart in heaven. We are, or this is what I mean by God ordering us in a heavenly direction. And does it have practical implication for your life and mine? You better believe it. Um, you quoted uh, some of the pilgrim passages, like out of Hebrews. Uh, also, First Peter and Second Peter. It, it deeply remarkable pilgrim theology in First and Second Peter. And if you think about what's the common thread before second, uh, be, between Hebrews and, and the letters of Peter? <laughs> Persecution. Uh, these are persecuted people that the authors of these letters are writing to. And what do they put in the place of, persecu- of persecution? They don't come with some sort of physical humanitarian aid. They give them a heavenly vision, a heavenly hope. And you would think, well, wait a second, Hebrews chapter 10, people are being thrown into a physical jail, physical prison. They are having their physical possessions taken away, remember? And what does he give, what does he put in its place? He doesn't give them more stuff. He doesn't give them more physical things. He gives them a heavenly hope. He gives them a doctrine of pilgrim theology that in the in, in the eyes of many 
people today, sadly, even in the church, that would be remarkably impractical, untangible, and quite frankly, yeah. unuseful. And yet, this is our hope. So I, I think that's super important to point yeah, that yeah. out. And he, I mean, then you go into Hebrews 11, he says, we're surrounded by these witnesses that were, were just like. They were sawn in two. Hey, they were thrown in prison, and they looked forward to heaven. And amen. Hey, let, amen. Me, let me backtrack a little bit. Um, and I wrote here in the margins of, of the book, um, and, and this is going to be a backtrack for a second. You know, when Jesus commands Nicodemus and says, you must be born again, he's commanding him to do something he has no power to do. And this has been the, an op opposition challenge you know, to this statement, why would God command people to do something that they do not have the power to do? Um, you know, I've, I've been confronted with that question a number of times. You have, you have any way to answer that? Well, I think, uh, more importantly, right. Um, I, I think what Jesus is doing more importantly is he's setting forward a condition. Um, He's setting forward a condition that Nicodemus didn't understand. I, I would argue it's not so much an imperative, if you think about it. Even the Greek text it tells us that he's not so much saying, you have to do X, uh, in, in the sense of a true imperative. Uh, but he is saying, unless, he, he, he even uses the, conju the uh, conditional conjunction, eon, okay, which is important because if you think about the response that Nicodemus gives, he gives a he gives a response that indicates that he understood this as a commandment. And he responds by saying, "How can a man be born when he is old? Can he go a second time into his mother's womb and be born? No. Can he do that? Of course not." And so he missed the entire thing, and yet Jesus doubled down by repeating the very same phrase, the very same conjunction, the very same construct construction, and saying, no, 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 but I'm telling you, <laughs> truly, truly, unless <laughs> one is born of God. And here he says, of course, he's born of water and of spirit. He cannot enter the kingdom of God. And of course, when he talks about water and spirit, there he is, uh, you know, as people pointed out, he's referring back to Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 25 to 27, and the idea of the new birth being portrayed there as consisting of a washing of water and the Spirit. So that is what Jesus is referring to. Uh, and again, he is setting a condition of what must take place, but he gives the answer. The command is not so much for man to be born again. The command is for the... Uh, the instead, the condition is for the Spirit to fulfill. The Spirit must fulfill that condition. We can And a few it. chapters later, he's going to give the another necessary condition. Nobody comes to the Father unless they're, there they're, you go. there's nobody comes to me unless they're drawn by the Father, right? And and there it excellent. is. Excellent, you know. And so excellent. And and just just real quick, um, since you threw me off with John <laughs> six, <laughs> but but you know, in John six, when he says that, notice uh, no one no one comes. Uh, to me, unless the Father draws him, right? And the idea of coming to Christ is faith. And so no one can exercise faith wow. in the Son of God without the drawing, in a sense, 
without the prior work of the father drawing that person through effectual call, which the effectual call is basically synonymous with regeneration. Okay, so simple. So there you go. That's a wow. that's a good Amen. text. All right, let's talk about you know, in closing, the transforming power, and this is where, you know, in the in the pastoral realm, as you mentioned earlier on this this episode, um, where it gets very precious and ac- uh, uh, applicable to us. Um, and as I quoted yeah. earlier, it says regeneration is total. This isn't just a a partial thing. This is a new birth. This is a new creation. This is a new life uh, that the the christian the child of god now experiences it's it's total uh we're not yet complete we're not in heaven yet um we we exist in this already not yet uh you know paradigm but he says in regeneration the mind is illuminated right so what's what we once loved the sin we once loved we now grow in hatred and and the righteousness we once hated we now start to fall in love with Right in in regeneration, the heart is purified. What a, what a spectacular promise uh, that that is. The heart is is purified. You know, we we have such evil and wicked hearts, um, and it is being purified. And and praise God for that. And He says in regeneration, uh, desires are renewed. Um, and then His last point there in regeneration, uh, we begin the the new life. And so let's talk about, I, I want to talk about the mind, because uh, I think that's something um, in, in Christianity uh, often gets neglected. In regeneration, the bottom of page 52, the mind is, is illuminated. Uh, he says, we see the kingdom of, uh, we see the kingdom of God. It is not one of uh, the, it is not one of the greatest privileges of the Christian fellowship to witness a new Christian confessing, I once was blind. But now I see to become a child of God by regeneration is to give a totally new perspective on oneself and on others. Um, we, uh, we see the world in new eyes, right? This is such an important as Christians. We, we have a new outlook on life. If I could put it in a very cliche way and that the whole purpose the application of that is is total and affects every every point of our life our our home life our 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 work life our you know social life every every aspect we look at things now differently um and our our minds are changed the way we vote Hmm. changes right the Everything changes. The way, the way, way we dress. dress. Everything changes. It? The yeah. way you talk. Um, and that's his point. It's total regeneration. And so there's there's almost nothing that's not on the table, right? There's no compartments there that that the Christian life, new life, doesn't touch and doesn't invade and doesn't um, take over and take control where we should now see the process of sanctification, we're not perfect. We're not, you know, we're not going to be perfect this side of heaven. We're going to mess up. We're going to say stupid things. Uh, we're going to flesh out on our, our, our wives, those things we're, we're still struggling with, with this sin. But when we do do those things, we now perceive them differently. When I do say something that was, wasn't kind to my wife, I'm instantly convicted of, of that sin. 
you know, and, and hopefully by the grace of, of God, I could, I could say, babe, I'm so sorry. I, I didn't mean to, to talk to you that way. Right. It, it wasn't my intention. Forgive me. Where before I, no, it would have been all about me. No, forget you. You, you did X, Y, Z. You deserved whatever verbal lashing I, I get like our entire identity changes. And it says in regeneration, the heart is purified. Um, our affections. Why don't you kind of just expound on that? And then, um, the desires, our heart and our desires. That might be one of the most central issues of the new life that results from regeneration. There is nothing in the world, no amount of going to church, no amount of praying, no amount of reading your Bible, no amount of associating with Christians or Christian things. You can watch all the cheesy Christian movies you want. It's n- it's not going to amount to anything by way of producing a new affection for you. Because the the fundamental affection that is imparted in regeneration is the desire for holiness, the desire to be pleasing to God by loving his law. And in first John, we, we know we know one of our favorite verses as Christians is first John five three that God's commandments are not burdensome. And so what that means is that we've, we, we have a newfound disposition as Christians, and this newfound disposition has altered our relationship to that which used to be a threat to us from the beginning, which was the holiness of God, the holiness of God's law, the, the thundering of Sinai, as it were. But now that we have the Spirit, we are no longer... Um, we're no longer opposed to the law of God. Now the law of God has been written in our heart. Now the law of God has become our delight. And now we say with the psalmist, Oh Lord, I meditate on your law all the day long. Right? We love the law of God. Oh Lord, how I love your law, says, says David. And of course, we didn't even talk about this, Mike, but uh, our podcast presupposes, of course, and so does Sinclair Ferguson's doctrine of regeneration, that regeneration is not a new covenant, New Testament phenomenon. Regeneration has been the modus uh, operandi, the ordus salutis from the very beginning. I do not believe that regeneration is a new aspect of salvation never seen before on the face of redemptive history. I believe that Moses was, re- was regenerate. I believe David was regenerate. I believe that many in Israel were regenerate. They had a, what Moses called a circumcised heart, and therefore they had the Spirit of God. As Peter says in 1 Peter chapter uh, 1, uh, verse 11, he says that the, the Spirit of Christ was in them. And so I, I believe that they had the Spirit, those who by faith uh, were uh, belonged to Yahweh and were actually... Um, uh, truly of the seed of Abraham, right? Not just externally, but as Roman says, inwardly by the heart. And so uh, I just think that with this new disposition that regeneration gives us, we have affections that the carnal man simply cannot do. Uh, and that's why you see some people in the church, Mike, and we've seen this so many times, but that's why you see so many people in the church eventually just bail uh, because. They they don't really want to be in the church in the first place. Um, they they you know it lasts for a little while. Um, maybe they like the music, 
it's a neat, it's a nice concert to go to every week. Uh, maybe they like the networking that's available to them during the uh, fellowship uh, among the people and the interactions with people. Maybe it's a good place to go find a spouse. But at the end of the day, you don't really have a religious or spiritual affection for one another, for believers, if you don't have regeneration. It will get old. It will wear out. You will move on to something else. And that's why, boy, I love what Sinclair Ferguson says in terms of First John and these uh, these aspects. And I know we're coming on uh, our time here, running out here, but in First John, you know, he talks about the different ways, and he identifies three ways that it really, uh, regeneration is lived out in the life of the believer. He says, one who is born of God, he loves his fellow believers. And, 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 and that's a big, you know, right? Like, that's almost like First John is really all about that. It's, if you don't like, love the brethren, you have not been regenerated of God. You've not been born of God. So, it's a major um, litmus test for a truly spiritually born-again person whether or not they have the capacity to love the brethren uh, with a kind of love that John exemplifies there in in First John and the rest of the New Testament, of course. But uh, I, I just think it, this is why regeneration is so radically important, and it's what we need to be praying for our kids, for our church members, for our neighbors, for people, we, we need to be praying more than anything, not that they go to church with us, but that they will have a radical encounter with the Spirit of God so that we won't even have to tell them to go to church with us anymore. They will want to do it freely and of their own heart. As, uh, as Psalm 110 says of the, of the community, the covenant people of the Messiah, the priest king of God, God's people will will volunteer freely on that day. So <laughs> it's going to be your heart's desire to be enlisted in the army of the Lord. You're going to want to be identified with the church. Amen. And he, he closes, and just by way of encouragement to to the listeners, that we've been given a new life. This is his final point. Regeneration, we begin to live a new life. And he, he closes with First Peter chapter 1. <clears throat> and let me just, just kind of read this. He says, blessed be God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last times. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been given, uh, sorry, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold and per uh, that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in the praise and the glory and the honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining to the outcome, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. That's our, that's our hope as, as Christians 
right? As we pass through this world, our, our, our faith is firmly fixed. Our salvation is kept in, in heaven for us. It's, it's an inheritance, imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. It is a total regeneration, a total salvation, not anything we've accomplished, something that was completely done on our behalf. It is all of grace, all of grace to the glory of God, uh, and, and him alone. Um, and we sit here as just blessed partakers as we now live this Christian life. It's not going to be easy. Trials tested by fire there. there there's the promise of, of that. And so whatever we're, we're going through, it's, it's this gospel truth that we must preach to ourselves every single day in good days and bad days that I am not my own. Right? I've been bought with a price. I belong to my faithful Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that's it. That's all the, that's all the hope I, I need. Uh, my, my he- heaven is fixed for me. And, and praise God for that. So what a, what a great, great and encouraging topic episode. Great. Phenomenal. Yeah, I mean, regeneration, we, you know, I'm, I'm surprised we kept it right around an hour because we can go so much further. But uh I guess last thing I would say before we close out here is uh, uh, kind of looking forward to our next chapter, which is going to be dealing with faith in Christ, uh, is simply to say that the, the, the benefits of regeneration and the phenomenon of regeneration do not come to us but, in, but other than in union with Jesus Christ. So in other words, uh, God through union with Jesus Christ, as he thought of us in union with his Son. As Ephesians says, this is one of those aspects in which we are blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. And so this is only because of our union with Jesus Christ, whether in eternally, conceptually, in the decree of God, or in time and space, through regeneration and ultimately justification. So that's important to point out as well. But man, Mike, great episode, brother. Looking forward to so many more. And uh, for folks out there, uh, make sure and share this episode with friends that you think are, because I think a lot of people are going to want to use this as uh, hopefully to encourage young believers and new people that are just getting their feet wet on, you know, doctrine and theology and reform theology. This is a foundational episode. So I hope it serves, it proves to be useful for people. Amen. God bless you guys. And it has been uh, a great privilege to, to have this conversation with you. Amen. Amen. All right, guys. Well, till next time, thanks for listening. Make sure to uh, not, uh, subscribe, share, and never miss an episode. Christ in Kingdom. God bless you.